Well, hey folks, Jeff Salzman here and welcome to the Daily Evolver. A special welcome to those of you who are joining us live via the Integral Life Portal, the Integral Life YouTube, and Integral Global on Facebook. It's good to feel you here in real time. I wanted to do a quick reminder of my summer schedule. Instead of every Wednesday, I'm going to be doing every first and third Wednesday of the month. So the next time will be July 7th, which is actually three Wednesdays from two Wednesdays from now because there's five Wednesdays in June. It's very complicated. But next time, July 7th, first and third Wednesday. And I noticed when I put it on my calendar that that was also the day that is the start of this year's season of Big Brother on CBS. So make sure you tune in. Uh, today, I wanted to do just more of what I love to do, which is to point out the evolution of human culture and consciousness in real time. And one of the most interesting emergence into new reality, it's always new reality, is the emergence of people who are thinking integrally. And that's us. You folks, me, you know, I, I've, I always like Ken Wilber's definition that uh, anybody who's interested in integral thinking, at least that's a marker of integral thinking, to be interested in it at all. And at this point, there's enough of us to, you know, communicate and be in groups and post and, you know, interact with each other so that we're seeing patterns and we can talk to other people who are flying at this altitude and check in. And so I was on a Zoom call a week or so ago with, I don't know, probably a couple dozen integral, integralists, integral practitioners. And the question was posed to all of us, what is your challenge? You know, what are you working on at the edge of your evolution? And that's a pertinent question to integralists because at Integral, we realize that we are at the cutting edge of our own evolution, that there is a next Jeff, in my case, who wants to come online. And I can participate with evolution itself in calling forth what's next in me and in the world. And that's what we're doing. We want to be skillful at that. So... That's what these people were doing. And I must say, there was one pattern of answers that they had, uh, that what they were working on, that really surprised me. And that was that people were dealing with being triggered, you know, that losing their cool, going out into the world of this polarized political scene, and, you know, getting caught one way or the other. And that shouldn't have surprised me, I suppose, because I do it myself, because sometimes I just can't believe people can be so stupid. But, you know, there it was. So then I go to my site, dailyevolver.com, and there's a place uh, under the communicate tab where you can leave me a voice message. So I'm listening to my voice messages. And I get this one from one of my listeners, Michael. And uh, I'll play this for you. Hi, Jeff. I just want to bring more clarity of understanding this post 
diversity and working with these different worldviews, uh, which on a mental level, I totally agree. It just seems like as somebody that's practicing this, uh, that what you're saying, uh, the difficulty is when certain behaviors from these worldviews make it really difficult to engage. I would like you to maybe talk about the skillfulness of when we have to engage the behavior, like where red is coming from. I consider myself a pretty open-minded, diverse person, but some behaviors kind of push my limits. Okay, well, that's it. I get it. And like I said, it happens to me too. One of the things that I have been working on and talking about a good bit on the Daily Evolver is this new stage of what I call, and he mentioned it, post-progressive diversity, where we are welcoming not just the diversity of shapes and sizes and races and cultures, but also a diversity of worldviews. And there is a term that I'm seeing coming up more and more in the integral world from all kinds of different places. And the integral world is growing. I mean, whether it's self-identified or not, a lot of group, meta-modern and, and many others that are coming online, that are working with this bigger category that I would call integral pluralism, which is this idea of integrating worldviews, which is just a basic premise of integral theory. And a couple days ago, Greg Thomas, who's been on the Daily Evolver, wrote a, uh, an essay called Why I Am a Radical Moderate. And he published it in Aereo magazine. It's going to be published in the soon-to-show-up post-progressive post, which I'll talk about again in a couple of weeks, but it's coming down the pike. A lot of new stuff. And Greg talked about how this integral pluralism works for him and the challenge as he sees as he sees it. And he wrote, I'll just read a couple quick sentences. He he wrote, hyperpolarization is now the norm. No doubt that it is. And it creates pressure for people to come down squarely on one side or the other of issues. A more nuanced position works against this. In my work as a facilitator, I want to forge a civil discussion of civic issues in a way that honors all worldviews, from indigenous to traditional to modern to postmodern. By announcing my stance as a radical moderate, I'm exercising agency, independent, and self-determination. And yet, this does not make me independent of political engagement. It puts me near the center of an interdependent U.S political spectrum. And I think that is beautifully put. And I'd encourage you to check out Greg's article, Why I Am a Radical Moderate on Aereo Magazine. And you'll see that in the article, he mentioned somebody who I'd never heard of, who is also hitting the bullseye, it seems to me. And this is a, a, a man, Peter Limburg. And uh, Greg points out his essay that he wrote called Mimetic mediation, mimetic mediation, mimetic being 
systems of thought means, mediation between systems of thought, the hard problem of the culture war. And the pulled quote in this essay is, we can view the new culture war, culture war 2.0, as a philosophical battle acted out in the noosphere, or the world of thought and ideas, the abstract world. And, um, and Peter writes, <clears throat> then I'm gonna quote a couple things here. He writes, on the surface, mimetic warfare seems to be caused by profoundly incompatible truths, values, and ways of knowing. Absolutely, different stages of development have incompatible truths, values, and ways of knowing. And he mentions that philosopher Robert Fogelin, who I also have never heard of, calls the, this problem deep disagreements. According to Fogelin, a disagreement becomes deep when it is impossible to resolve it through argumentation. Have you ever been <laughs> in those kinds of uh, um, disagreements? Yes, and so there's three points he makes here. One, successful argument is possible only if participants share a background of beliefs, values, and resolution procedures. Two, therefore, successful argument is not possible in deep disagreement cases. And three, therefore, in deep disagreements, one should use non-argumentative means to resolve the dispute. And so that's this philosopher, Robert Fogelin. And, and then Peter Lindbergh offers this idea of the mimetic mediator as, as sort of the solution to this. As he describes it, a new role might be required in today's culture wars, that of the mimetic mediator. This mediator would be a pan-tribalist participant who has the ability to communicate across tribes in a way that seems fair and reasonable to each tribe. And I love this. Pan-tribalist participant who has the ability to communicate across tribes or across developmental uh, worldviews in a way that seems fair and reasonable to each tribe. They would have the mental agility, empathy, and wisdom needed to shift between a multitude of perspectives. And that is the bullseye for integral practice is perspective taking. Talked about it for years on the Daily Evolver. And one of the things that is revealed by the idea of developmental stages, and these are really just different world spaces that human beings have lived in, and spiral dynamics, integral theory, posits six of these stages up to now and integral being the one that is arising. But that we want ideally to have all of these as we move into the integral world, to have all of these previous stages or these earlier stages lit up. And that part of that is going to require a revalorization, if you will, of both myth and magic, because these are big parts of the spiral. This is how human beings live for 99% of our history. And rationality, 
which comes online at this modern stage or the orange stage, the fifth of the first six stages, um, that paves over myth and magic or thinks it does at least. You know, when you know that lightning is a product of electrical discharge in the atmosphere, you don't have much need for Thor, you know, throwing lightning bolts at his enemies. But yet you do. And there is a part of the human being that is, I, I think one of the projects of Integral is to make friends with it in ourselves and others. That is, um, you know, operating at a mythic or magic stage. Even though, you know, they may be functional, that's one of the, one of the issues of living in our contemporary world where we have three or four or even five stages of development online at the same time. And not only in the world, but in our cultures, in our communities, and in us, and in the people that we love. This calls for a new kind of thinking, a new kind of, I often describe it as an identity that is not so much identified with any single perspective, but with the space within which perspectives are arising. And there's many of them, and we are friendlier to all of them than we used to be. And that's a practice is to become friendlier to them. And even the ones that are extreme, because, you know, as long as they're not hurting anybody, and this is where I agree with Peter Lindbergh, that the culture war is taking place, as he puts it, in the noosphere. It's one of the integral maps from Ken Wilber's Ockerell Theory that there are, you know, three or four, five maybe, great states of being that human beings find themselves in. And one of them is the physical state, you know, the world of bodies and blood and guts, and then the world of subtle, which is the, the noosphere, the world of ideas and abstractions. And then there's the world of the causal. And then the, you know, there's some stages beyond that if you want to go there, but the causal is basically the spiritual realm. So these three big realms, physical, subtle, and causal. And that, yes, one of the, one of the, ways we can notice that evolution is happening is that human beings are far, fight, fighting far less in the physical realm. You know, warfare is, you know, vanished in terms of interstate warfare in the way that we used to think of it in the mid 20th century. And we are fighting now in the world of the internet and comments section and Twitter and that that is, um, that's a good thing. That's actually progress. Um, but we have to tolerate people who are coming from left field. And I, I had a little uh, text interchange with a good friend of mine. We, and we're, we're on, we text each other all the time. And she wrote me and she uh, quoted a poll. And she, here's what she said. She said, a major poll out last week, 15% of Americans, the poll found, agreed with the QAnon contentions that the government, media, and financial worlds in the U.S. are controlled by a group of Satan-worshipping pedophiles who run a global child sex trafficking operation. So 15% of Americans believe QAnon. 
And so, you know, that's her point. And I write back and I say, pretty amazing. And yes, QAnon is its own brand of crazy town, but 15% is about half the number of people who believe that Eve eating an apple made God cast us out of paradise so he could send his son to be tortured to death so he could forgive us. And 50 years ago, that number would have been 80%. And she wrote back, and it's, it's rare that you really get to win one or you really get to land it. And she wrote back and she said, holy moly, never more apt a response. And I was very satisfied by that exchange. <laughs> but, you know, as I've said many times on this podcast, you know, people believe all kinds of stuff. In the integral world, people believe all kinds of stuff. And um, I, I'm not fighting them like I used to. Because, you know, what's more interesting to me is what crazy stuff am I believing? So... That's, you know, one of the ways that we move into this new, friendlier territory, this, uh, as Claire Graves said, being the universal donor who all of the worldviews can see as an ally and friend, uh, even though they don't like each other. That's, you know, one of the things we're doing here. And I, I think that one of the practices that I would that I practice for sure and recommend is a practice that I learned from Chogam Trumpa, who is the Buddhist priest to Naropa to Boulder and a lot of the West Buddhism to the West. And he would have people do an exercise where he would ask them to imagine somebody, maybe not the worst person in the world, but somebody that you're having problems with, somebody you just don't understand even somebody in the news or some group of people. And, you know, pick out one, get their face, and in your mind's eye, look at them and look into their eyes and find your way in and as much as you can see them ever more deeply into seeing who they are. And you can move in, so you're in their interior world, you can move out and just see how the light is hitting their face and what their expressions are. And you do that. This is a contemplation that you have with this person that you're having problems with, or you just think it's nuts. And you do that until you reach a point that Trumpa says is the marker of you knowing that you have seen them and seen them deeply. And that marker is when you go into the territory of, oh, oh, just that natural sound of sympathy, ah, for this person who is a human being. And, you know, the human condition is not easy. From a Christian perspective, we live in a fallen world. From a Buddhist perspective, life is suffering. These are, you know, the foundational truths of religion, that it's tough being a human being. And so there's this natural sympathy, and when that arises in you, it arises in them. They feel seen, and uh, they get to be who they are. 
and to be seen for it. And that's good practice. And it's extra tough when you do that with them, but they don't do it with you. <laughs> you know, they refuse to see you, you're doing all this work, but they refuse to see you back. And that is, you know, it puts us in the position that um, I think, you know, I think integral belongs. And that is in, you know, it sounds so arrogant, but I don't want to be coy about it either. If it's true, and I think it is, is that you're, you're in the role of a parent or a grandparent where you don't expect to be seen by the kids. You know, the, your job is to see them. Their job is not to see you, or at least not for a while. And, um, and that that is uh, what happens when you're moving into that stage where we need to have adults who can, you love humanity even in its craziness. So, um, so then we get, I, I wanted to make a, another comment or two about the essay that this Peter Lindbergh, who I don't know, as, as, I, as I said, wrote. And this is a quibble, and I don't want to uh, use it to, uh, in any way, undermine his thesis, because I think he's right. But the way he views his thesis, I would argue with a bit. And here's what he says. He says, perhaps such a role, this being the mimetic mediator, is impossible, or if possible, not scalable to the degree needed to nudge the culture war in a positive direction. It may also be too late. Our self-terminating path may already be fixed and playing nicer may not make a difference. However, we introduce the term in the spirit of speculative optimism and believe it is worth exploring giving, given our contentious and precarious times. We are living the parable, and it's a parable he talked about before of the elephant where one person feels the trunk and the other one feels the leg and the other one feels the tail and nobody knows what the whole elephant is. So we're living out this parable, then we are shouting over it. If we are indeed faced with a metacrisis, the cost of this is existentially catastrophic. <sighs> So metacrisis. Metacrisis, as the best I can understand it, is the crisis that happens between one stage and the other. It's when you um, lose your might is right orientation of red and accept the transcendent power of God, or accept Jesus as your savior, and get, gain your religion, and it organizes you. That's a metacrisis to so move to one to the other. When you lose your religion, it's the next stage of the metacrisis. And so, yes, there is a metacrisis of all of these worldviews, but I would argue that this is actually the first metacrisis in human history that is not existentially catastrophic or potentially, at least not necessarily. Because again, to use his thesis, we're fighting in the noosphere. And that is, you know, that's less bloody there unless you count among the casualties, hurt feelings. And, and actually we do count that. That's one of the things why it feels so crazy is that we've actually developed a moral sensibility that it matters that you hurt somebody's feelings. 
And that's evidence of further evolution, that that's happening. And it's happening a lot. I mean, we can see this is, you know, in some ways, it's the flourishing of green, which is if um, traditional is the, the world of faithfulness and God and country, modernity is the world of rationality and science. Green post-modernity is the world of sensitivity where we start getting hip to other people's interiors and the traumas of being human. This is what I was just talking about. And yet, you know, we want to roll our eyes and think you've snowflakes, but this is the nature of evolution. And I want to share a couple bits of evidence. I'm going to submit two, two pieces of evidence that I think show that and I think are very, very interesting. And these are two high profile uh, apologies that happened this week. And I think I was probably extra sensitive to them because I apologized myself to a friend, not for the worst infraction in the world, but for one that was kind of a little bone of contention. And I just did, and it was great. You know, we had such a good time with my apology and I feel closer than ever. So this is an apology, I'm gonna share two of them, both from people I, I don't like, one from the right and one from the left. And I'll start, first of all, with the one from the right. And this is Marjorie Taylor Greene. And this is her apology uh, for comparing wearing the um, uh, masks and having vaccine mandates for COVID. She compared them to the yellow stars that Jews were forced to wear to identify themselves in Nazi Germany. And Green took a trip to the Holocaust Museum and had a press conference. And she said she regrets that, apologizes, and removes the statement from her uh, website. And here's some of what she said. And one of the best lessons that my father always taught me was when you make a mistake, you should own it. And I have made a mistake and it's really bothered me for a couple of weeks now. And so I definitely want to own it. I can't play too much of it because then they don't like it on Google. But anyway, she talked about her visit to the Holocaust Museum. She said there's nothing comparable to the Holocaust. Six million Jewish people killed, children, all kinds of people that the Nazis didn't believe were good enough or perfect enough. And she knows that some people don't believe it happened, but it happened. And, um, and then she goes on to say, There is no comparison to the Holocaust. And there are words that I have said, remarks that I've made that I know are offensive. And for that, I want to apologize. And I am, I am just fine and very glad to be able to come out here and do that because I believe it's important. I believe that if we're going to leave, we need to be able to leave in a way where if we've messed up, it's very important for us to say we're sorry. So what do you think of that? I like that. And I, I find it sincere. And <laughs> I saw it on the uh, Forbes website. Forbes is a, you know, it used to, its slogan used to be capitalist tool. It's a business magazine, mainstream business magazine in the, in the US. And um, in the comments under the posting of this video were just horrible. I mean, nobody, 
<laughs> Nobody accepted her apology except me. There were a couple. But, you know, she's a narcissist. She just wants to be in front of the camera. She's insincere. She's trying to get out of trouble. She's nuts. Um, and, you know, the beat goes on, but I found it convincing. I found it charming. I found it to be what you do when you're a serious traditionalist where the truth matters as you see it. Um, they, people did note that she did not specifically repudiate her comparison of the Democratic Party with the Nazi Party, and she didn't, but <laughs> I'm taking that it as a win. So that's Marjorie Taylor Greene. And from the left, the apology of the week goes to Chrissy Teigen. And this is John Legend's wife who has had quite a uh, 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 presence on Twitter where she would fight with Trump and she would fight with this and she would fight with that and then she would have pictures of herself in the mirror with her clothes off and I, yeah, yeah, I, I found her to be a narcissist it's sort of in, in the, in the um, vein of Trump and actually if I may Marjorie Taylor Greene her apology was very un-Trumpian uh, first of all you don't Trump operating from red, she's operating from probably blue, you know, amber traditionalism. He's operating from the red warrior stage where you don't apologize. Apology would be irresponsible, actually. And if uh, it reminds me, I should have actually found it, but Trump's apology about having been caught on mic about uh, women, what is it, the entertainment tonight, uh, tape what he said. And, and, and so he did this perfunctory video apology. <laughs> I should play it. Uh, where it's, you know, he says the right words, but the music ain't there. And it's about, you know, 20% him apologizing and 80% of him going after Bill Clinton for even worse sins against women and the corrupt Clintons and Hillary and Anyway, this, let's note that Marjorie Taylor Greene's apology was not that. All right, so back to Chrissy Teigen. And she has some of the tweets that she tweeted. It turns out they weren't only just to Trump and the bad guys, that she had been kind of an internet troll for years and causing all sorts of trouble and havoc and consternation with other celebrities and so it's all come to light and she is being completely piled on and decried. And so she probably had to apologize, but I liked her apology. It was written and it's published in uh, Medium uh, magazine, on, online magazine, and you can find it. But here's just a couple paragraphs from it. She says, I've been sitting in a hole of deserved global punishment the ultimate sit here and think about what you've done, period. Not a day, not a single moment has passed where I haven't felt the crushing weight of regret for the things I've said in the past. As you know, a bunch of my old awful, and in parentheses, awful, awful, in parentheses, tweets resurfaced. I'm truly ashamed of them. As I look at them and understand the hurt they caused, I have to stop and wonder, how could I have done that? This is good. I'm liking this. There's simply no excuse for my past horrible tweets. My targets didn't deserve them. No one does. Many of them needed empathy, kindness, understanding, and support. 
not my meanness masquerading as a kind of casual, edgy humor. I was a troll, full stop, and I am so sorry. So it goes on and on, and it's, and it's quite good. I don't know if she wrote it or not. Of course, the comments are, again, <laughs> people do not forgive so easily. Uh, at least the ones on Twitter, at least the ones on the comments section. But I was, I just saw, I'm trying to think of another poll I saw where the people who are actually in that category of, you know, warriors for their side online is about 14% of the population, but they get, you know, 80% of the attention. So let's not forget that. All right. Okay. And then I think one more thing, it's, uh, 135, but let's, let me share one more thing. And this is a wonderful email that I got. And I, I love hearing from you. You can write me at jeff at dailyevolver.com or go to the website dailyevolver.com to the communicate tab and, and hit the orange button and leave me a voicemail. But this is from a listener, Marty, and she's talking about what she's learned from Integral. And, and this is exactly right in this category of what we're talking about, about practicing and moving into integral pluralism. And she's talking for the most part about the culture war in the United States and the, the competing stories of America, the, the story that most of us were taught in school of, you know, America being great and having gratitude for America. And then the new story that's arriving, the so-called 1619 story which is a grievance story and the story of the left for a long time about America as bad guy in the world. And both of these stories are true, actually. Both of these stories are completely wrapped in myth. And so they're not always accurate uh, in terms of facts, but they are, they hit that mythical vibe, you know, that part of us that needs to feel alive and, um, and, and mean modernity tries to explain it away with facts. And this is part of the culture war too. But at any rate, here's what she wrote. She says, I can now appreciate the nuances and challenges of weaving together a meaningful and respectful definition of American identity. But is it okay for me as a progressive to embrace a triumphal story of America and not, the on, not only the story of America's oppression, one I have been wallowing in for a few years. As an integralist, I normally hold to the faith that we will find our way through all this national and world chaos, but now I can also feel myself being on that precipice. I love that. She said, as I started to depoliticize my own thinking recently, I found myself opening to pieces of wisdom of more independent, nuanced, liberal and conservative thinkers on a variety of podcasts, such as Dark Horse, Eric Weinstein, Jordan Peterson. And I loved your show, Jeff, with Pia Maloney and The Next Economy. And I began to question some of my fixed left-wing stances and alliances, noting that this is what evolution can look like on an individual level. I was organically growing more open, more capable of critical thinking, and hungering for equilibrium. I too have had to tread lightly and watched rolling eyeballs when, for example, 
I commented several months ago to my very liberal friends that yes, perhaps there might actually have been a lab leak, lab leak from a Wuhan virology lab. And that it is unfortunate that this vital discussion became taboo because it was so politicized and racially charged. I've become less subject to my tribalism and more objective as I started, as I stopped glossing over the continuous violence and looting that took place in American cities through the summer and fall of 2020 and came to see it as just plain unconscionable. I was rejoicing in all the peaceful protests, but full disclosure, I'm embarrassed to say, because of the murder of George Floyd, I pretended to myself that the violence was somehow justified and gave a pass for a while to liberal media outlets that barely, barely covered the rioting and destruction. Am I less passionate about injustice? No, just more clear-eyed and self-honest, evolving. And it feels good to relax into that awareness after these last five years. Ah, moving forward and through. And I think that is just terrific. So thank you, Marty. And thank you, everybody, for listening to The Daily Evolver again. And I will be back here uh, in the first, two, first Wednesday of July and also the third. And in the meantime, I'll probably post some stuff on thedailyevolver.com. And you can check me out on Twitter. I'm actually enjoying Twitter and doing more tweeting and retweeting. So you can check me out there and subscribe and subscribe to my YouTube station, Daily Evolver. And that's it. All right. Take care, folks. See you next time.